Well, hello there. This is Jim, the Keys bartender uh, with the Keys bartender podcast. Podcast about bartending and life and life in the Keys. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day. It's in the uh, lower 70s, going up the mid 70s, just where I like it. A little too cool for my lovely wife. She likes it in the mid 80s. But since I tend to see to have this low threshold for sweating, for sweating. Yeah. And gosh, I really do have to look into some of these diffy, difficult, diffy difficulties I have finding words. Yesterday, I was searching for the word currency, the word currency, but I picked the word species because currency, you know, paper currency is also considered species, not species like in uh, genus species, you know, when you're classifying living organisms, I'm talking species is as uh, a form of legal tender. There's another, I came up with two. I think what happens to me with my brain, it's like, uh, and I may have to, maybe this metaphor doesn't work, but it's, it's as if there's a huge river of information in my brain. And between my brain and my mouth, where, well, actually, the part of my brain that develops the words, I have the ideas, but the narrow inlet where the words come out, not my mouth, I'm talking about the conduit that occurs behind it, because I can always say something or stumble across or stammer. I get kind of jumbled up and it gets jammed up and I just don't remember. That's why sometimes you'll hear a word that comes out. It's kind of archaic, old style not being used anymore. I'm not doing that on purpose. That's just the way it comes out. I'm not doing it as an affectation. I was trying to describe something and I wanted to say currency, right? Or legal tender. And all I could come out with species or a symbol as payment or wampum. Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's the struggle, and the struggle is real. But what I wanted to talk to you today about bartending was the way we get ready and clothing to wear at work. Now, I talked about footwear, how important footwear, your foot, feet are your life. If there's the most important thing, if you bartend at a place that does not require you to wear clothes, you know, if you're a bartender at a nudist colony, which you have to be really com- you know, comfortable working around sharp edges and glass, right? If you're naked, uh, but I, and there's, I'm, I'm sure in this big world of ours, there's nude bartending. There is nude bartending out there. Most assuredly, I'm sure we, I don't have one bartender who works regularly as, uh, a nude bartender. Now, I'm, I'm quite sure there's probably a couple people that bartend nude. I haven't. It's one of those things. There's just too many knives, too many bottles, too many sharp corners with those metal uh, oh edges. Oh, God. I just get the chills thinking about how much you can get 
all banged up back there. But I'm talking about general clothing. So we talk about how important feet is. And even if you're a new bartender, it's very important to have comfortable shoes that are going to take care of you uh, long enough. But the rest of the clothing that you're wearing, the rest of the clothing that you're wearing. Now, if you're one of the persons that bring a kind of like utility belt where you carry things, I work in a less, a less, uh, a lower than casual environment, meaning we could wear shorts and t-shirts. We do wear uh, branded t-shirts, meaning we have the logo of the place of work there. Uh, some bartenders, you know, they can carry some of the branded uh, like Corona shirts or Bacardi or Seagram's, whatever. You can wear those things, yes. But wearing clothes that you're comfortable. I like wearing, I always go for the dark colors when they give me the option. And there's only one reason. I get dirty. I'm not afraid to clean up and do things. And I have a tendency to spill things. Or when you're cleaning up, you do. You have a tendency to wear things. And, and I realize darker clothing, uh, clothes are more forgiving. Also, I like to have pockets. Because tools of trade, uh, the, there's tools of the trade I like to have on person, like the wine key or a knife or a bottle opener. Some people use a zip line. Not a zip line. You know what I'm talking about. The thing you hook to your belt. And it's a retractable line. And you can put some of your tools on it so it comes back. I don't like having a, a lot of things hanging off my belt. You see a lot of guys, they have a, a utility belts like Batman when they're walking around. And it's kind of a sign of nerddom. It's gone the way of the fanny pack. I mean, the fanny pack was great. The fanny pack was great. You just wore around the waist and you could put your wallet in there. You could keep other things in there. The fanny pack was wonderful and you could keep it in the front or the back and it just keeps your stuff and doesn't get hung up because normally the stuff we wear, like holsters and all that, they hang at the side. Hang on the side and when you're working in an aerospace, that's where you get hung up. But yeah, in the 90s, I think it was the late 90s, it started getting uncool, the fanny pack. That's a shame because it was a great thing to have. Guys, I never wanted to be the one to have a purse, a man purse. <laughs> Shit, who wants to carry something in their hands? You got to have your hands free. Your hands free for, you know, you got to be ready for action, like blocking things, falling down. Um I'm not saying you got to be free like in Roadhouse where you're going to be here. You're going to be throwing, throwing fist. But I like to have them free. And that's why I always liked the pockets. And prior to that, yes, I was a big believer in the fanny pack. And I'm a victim of fashion. Uh, I'm almost there. I'm old, almost old enough where I don't give a shit. That'll go back to it. But now I kind of still do um, kind of the... Indiana Jones thing, which is more of a, a satchel, but it's still not appropriate work. You know, a, a male or female bartender, they're not carrying a lot of extraneous things they're carrying in their pockets or an apron. The old style bartenders used to wear the white shirts and have an apron and the front of the apron protected the shirt. It was a great idea. They always had it because, you know, your soda gun, you, you don't even realize this. It has a nozzle on it. And sometimes when 
that nozzle comes off so people can clean their soda guns at the end of the day to get all that syrup off it. And it is one of the places where if you don't attach it correctly and you try to hit the soda, it sprays out at a 90 degree in a circular pattern. And it'll go all over the front of your shirt. You'll get like syrup or it could be a red syrup. If it's, let's say you're, you have cranberry juice and you get all this stuff across the front of you. That's the reason I like dark. And I like, I don't like, I like form fitting. Not because I'm necessarily that vain about my body, but the more loose and billowing of a garment, as you heard me say earlier, with all the loose objects and things that are sticking out, you could get hung up. So the you know, bar is a tight space. There's not too many bars where they're wide open. It actually wouldn't serve the purpose because a bar has to be somewhat narrow, narrow, so you can keep your supplies behind you and glassware, and you can reach them. And you don't have to st- stop and walk. So they're intentionally tight spaces, and tight spaces are not very forgiving to billowing clothing. So you wear a little form fitting. I know, and it encourages you, encourages you to take care of your body. I know, I know, no body shaming here, but, uh, and I know this as a, a taller person and a bigger person, I'm, you know, around 6'4", 230 pounds, that the bar is not forgiven to you if you're larger. So any way you can make yourself as least innocuous you know i'm trying to say it in a nice way i mean being uh there are probably good uh there are probably benefits of being a larger person behind a bar i i really can't enumerate them right now but generally the the smaller you can make yourself and keep your elbows i'm um, when i'm talking my hands are all over the place but we're not talking about not gesturing i've knocked glasses over because of the way i talk i am now moving my hands left and right for no reason like a spaz so i kind of had a tendency to make make myself small i try not to go out elbows out try to keep them in I'm doing all those things I'm doing. It looks like I'm doing a chicken dance back here. I mean, that's, I guess that's the best way of doing uh, that. So I talked about uh, the color, the pockets, form fitting. But then here you go. Uh, depending on the environment, we're very hot. That's where dry fit works. I'm a big believer in dry fit. Because there's nothing nothing worse than when you get your sh- shirt soaked. And I'm not trying to be provocative to the ladies or anything like that. I'm talking about wet t-shirts. It's nothing worse when you're sweating and your clothes are sticking to you. And dry fit just acts as almost like an air conditioning because it allows the clothes to breathe. And the act of uh, liquid evaporating is actually a cooling process. But when cotton, you wear something like cotton or something heavy that just holds that moisture in, you get clammy and 
You got to worry about a little B.O. You got to think about that. Because you're working with people. We're trying to have a society here. You're not trying to show off how pungent you can get. And that goes back to hygiene. Making sure, like, right before you go to work that you're showered and clean. I know there's people out there that says, I do not shower every day. I don't do this. I don't think it's good for you. Blah, 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 blah. You know, that is an interesting view. I know that some of us, if you have a way of making yourself that you're not carrying strong smells with you, because bacteria has a tendency to cause odor. I know it's gross, but the more you can alleviate the buildup of that, and that's from bathing. Um, there could be another process you use, chuli oil or something like that, that you can uh, alleviate it, uh, do it if you can, but you know, you no amount of cologne or disinfectant will really do the job as just some water would water and you notice how i say that because i'm a philadelphia native i try to say water instead of water wooter wooter is i don't know if it would but it's wooter water water what water water so water and soap not to be sidetracked so it got reclosed and for those of you Another clothing thing. If you have a lot of hair, even though you're not as uh, around, you're not, you bartender for mainly beverages, it would behoove you to have your hair taken care of. Guys and girls, if you, if you find a tendency that you lose hair and it winds up on a drink or a plate, should do something to kind of bring it back. If that doesn't happen that often, if it's not a problem, obviously it's not a problem. And if your business doesn't require it, you don't have to do it. People say, oh, my hair is my one of my best assets. Well, your work should be your best assets. Shouldn't be how you look. But eh, it depends. You know, the higher place just because they're good looking people and that's why you come in, you're going to, you know, you could be a good looking person being good, uh, a great worker, but that shouldn't be your best attribute attribute as a bartender and so you got to watch what you say try to keep that watch what you wear keep that hair in place and it could be facial hair too facial hair can pop in and the worst thing about facial hair when it shows up in a drink or in a uh, in food you know what i mean you, you you're going to get this illusion you know with facial hair facial hair has some pubic qualities to it Meaning similar, similar shape, texture, curly, short. You don't need that. You don't need that showing up. You can get a bad reputation right away. If your your beard, like let's say you trim your beard and you didn't quite, you know, brush it out and it falls into your old fashioned or your Sauvignon Blanc. Kind of gross, I have to say people and people will remember that that'll be the thing that'll be the cockroach on the plate for you okay i'm going to take a little break here and i'll be right back
Okay, I'm back. Oh, I forgot to tell a couple days ago, I promised it was last Thursday. I went to a theater in Miami and it's a Sandrell Theater in Miami. It's uh it's an African American theater. It's in North Miami and I saw a play that a friend of mine is, is president uh of the theater group and uh, he invited us up for opening night and it was a play called the girls of summer it's takes place in the 40s uh during world war ii i think it was during world war ii and it's based on a real account not a, a real the story itself was a real account but the background story where it's an african-american a woman's baseball team, and they end up playing the winner of the American Women's uh, Baseball League that they created. And it comes from, if you ever saw the movie A League of Their Own with Gina Davis and Tom Hanks, uh, that's a similar, similar storyline. And it was a beautiful play. The acting was excellent. Uh, the setting was lovely. And we got to meet the actors, a bunch of long, a young actresses, a couple of the actors, and it was very professional. But once again, laid bare for everyone to see. Nothing to do with the play or where it was or thing like that. It was on the mainland. And that's one of the things you have to do when you have to go to the mainland. You have to organize uh, your time when you're going up to Miami because with a play or a, uh, a flight or any other, the errands you have to run to the mainland, not so much anymore because of online shopping because there's only a couple taps of the keyboard away, aren't they? Just getting, getting anything you need down here. But you know, you can, there's no replacement for physically getting on a plane in Miami. You have to be there or going to a, uh, going to a play. Well, I guess there is a replacement. You don't go. So you really have to plan. And I was organized the timing and driving up there is for some social event. Let's say this play what do we have to get there? Around 6.30, 7.30 was the time. we were. They said to where we needed to be seated. And I think the place started at 8. So that means we wanted to leave at about quarter of 6. And that gave us an hour and 45 minutes because of the rush hour, the tail end of rush hour. So you're sitting there. So you already, whatever you did during the day, if you're heading, let's say a weekday, let's say you could have worked, you got to plan for an hour, hour, 45 minutes, hour and a half to an hour and 45 minutes to go to North Miami. And then you sit there and then you got to come back and coming back to about an hour. So you got about th three hours travels. My European friends always laugh at us. And that's Americans, how we will drive. Uh, three hours, and that's three hours round trip, to go to an event and then come back. 
because in the other, the a lot of places they go to, if they have to go further, they're they're making a day uh, a day trip, meaning spending a whole day there. They generally don't go more than fifty miles, forty miles, forty minutes away driving. But they say Americans will think nothing of driving two hours to go and visit a friend or three hours to go and visit a friend where they need to make it a vacation if they have to go that far or they hop on a train. So yeah, down here, it does take a little out of your sales, especially when you get a little older. I don't know about you younger folks. I, I didn't really much enjoy doing it when I was younger, spending two hours. But you do get used to it. It's very interesting uh, that you would say, oh, well, yeah, we have to drive an hour and 45 minutes, go to a play. And, you know, we socialize afterwards. So the whole, we ended up getting back home at, I think I got home at 1230 at night. Uh, So it was approximately seven hours. I mean, to go, you think about when you go to movies, uh, without dinner and everything, it's usually three hours. Go out to a movie, you go out to a play if you're in town, maybe three and a half hours. That was a nice thing about New York when we were in Manhattan. We stayed in Manhattan and we were approximately three blocks away from Radio City. Uh, we didn't go and see another play, but the furthest we had to really go was about 15 minutes away to get to Lower Manhattan, to the World Trade Center Memorial and the World Trade Center uh, Viewing Tower. I think it's called, I don't know if it's called Trade Center. It's called Trade Center, the new one there. But New York is kind of the 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 thing that Europeans will look to and say, that's our model. That's the way we vacation. We go to one place. We don't travel hours. And I guess when they see Americans, when they come over and tour, Americans will get on tour buses. And the American tours are slightly different than you have tours for any other nationality because Americans will go sit on a bus for three hours, get off, go touring, and get back on and go on for a couple more hours. Uh, or drive and do that. I I see the merit. I see the merit of just say, hey, listen, I don't want to use up my energy getting to a place. And that's why we rarely that we live we live in Key Largo. Key West is approximately a hundred miles away without any traffic. You could get down, you could possibly get down there in about two hours and fifteen minutes. And generally, it's at least three hours with heavy traffic. It's uh, four or more. God forbid there's an uh, accident. So uh, if you think about it, you know, especially in season, three hours down, three hours into six hours. And people make day trips from here, from Key Largo. And they drive down there and they spend the whole day and then drive back. And if that's eight hours, it's a 14-hour day with that ride. The ride itself, that's a job for some people, driving down and back. We have delivery people that do that all the time. They go drive down all the way down the end of the line at Key West and they come back. 
So, uh, in in ideally, for me and my wife, when we go down, we spend we spend a, one night, if not more, one or two nights down in Key West, and try to make the most of it. And usually, two days are perfect. And three days are even better if you're going to do something like lounging by the, the pool and enjoying the sights, maybe doing some water sports. So you could do, you can make it three days. Now other people, when they're going uh, on their fishing trips, and you could spend a whole week down there. And the last thing I want to discuss about, you know, driving and things like it's it's kind of tangentially related to it. On one of the postings on a key site, people said, uh, they they had a question. They said, we've heard that the keys are more adult-oriented than for children, or not for children. And I can agree with that aspect depending on what your intention is when you get here. Now, if your intention is to take advantage of uh, water sports, fishing, snorkeling, scuba drive, diving, windsurfing, kayaking, going to the inner, uh, you know, interactive dolphin swims or the small aquarium, some of the museums, some of the nature tours. They're for everyone. It's not adults only or children. There's tons of things to do down here. And even in Key West, where there's a lot of adult venues, there's a lot of adult venues. But if your intention is, you know, it's 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 strange you have to explain this to children uh people. I, I don't tell I don't like to tell people how to raise their children. But if your plan is to go to Key West and experience DeVall Street as a drunken bacchanal, you shouldn't take your children. I'm telling you this. I'm making a judgment right here. If you're going to go from bar to bar and that's what you decide to do, I don't think it's right. I'll, I'll say that outright. If you're just going to hang out and drink and walk down DeVall Street, uh, with your kids, for them just watching you drink, then, you know, you should think about going for another vacation venue if you can't handle it. Think about going to Universal Studios, Studios or Disney World or anything like that. But that's an adult vacation. Leave the kids at your grandparents. I mean, at your parents, not your grandma. I mean, could you, if you have younger grandparents, I'm not suggesting you leave your kids with your 90, 90 year old great grandparents or their great grandparents. God, that would be some, something. But I guess there are people in their 90s that can watch after their grandchildren. It's a possibility. But we're not talking about that. There are plenty of things for children to do. But if you don't plan on doing those things, it is not appropriate for children. It's just like going on a cruise. You wouldn't take a, uh, uh, children on a singles cruise or a swingers cruise or, um, and anything adult oriented, but there are plenty of things for children to do down here. And uh, I think if people get that impression that, 
you can't take children down here. You're missing a whole aspect of uh, the keys. It's not what's available. It's what you take advantage of. Now, there are times, such as Fantasy Fest, where I have to say, yes, there are things that occur during Fantasy Fest that are family-oriented. But by and large, Fantasy Fest is kind of like Mardi Gras. It's kind of like Mardi Gras. And Mardi Gras is an adult activity. I don't even like that there's high school kids down there. I think you should have to be of a, a majority. I'm going to say of a majority in the legal sense of a majority when you go down there. Well, that's all I have for today. I'd like to thank you for listening. Remember, if you're in the Keys, take advantage of everything that's available down here. But, you know, it all depends on what you're doing, whether it's family-friendly or, or not. There's are plenty of family-friendly friendly things to do down here. But if you're going to spend it in the bar, that's more, and you plan on drinking, then generally that thing, maybe you could consider it more of an adult vacation. So it's, it's not... It's not the vocation. It's like Vegas, Las Vegas. But we're, we have a lot more children activities than Las Vegas does. But there's, you can go to Las Vegas. You can go to Las Vegas. And there's plenty of things for children to do. But not if you're staying inside um, Caesars Resort. Right. Or the, or the pyramid or the Luxor. I guess it's the Luxor. You know, that's gambling. And I'm sure there's places in Luxor for the kids to do, but not necessarily the, uh, hard pool at the hard rock cafe, hard rock, uh, casino. And I think they have one there. It's just a lot of really, uh, beautiful people there. Uh, I don't know why I'm going that way, but, but, yeah, Las Vegas, there's a lot of things for children to do, but if you're going to just plan yourself going to adult entertainment and things like that, then obviously it's not children-oriented. Common sense. Have a great day. Bye.